Well, hello and welcome everyone. We're very glad you're all here for the first night of our class, Committed Marriage. And we are looking forward to, over the next ten sessions, to a good time, but most of all, to strengthening each of our marriages. And though I don't know each one of you here, I can say without fear of contradiction that each of us who are married needs fortification in that relationship. Because even if your marriage is already strong, I know it's not perfect. Because I know you're not perfect. And some of you then are here just to improve your marriage. Others are here for a rescue of your marriage because it's in a dire situation and on perhaps life support. This is a marriage course that's hosted by a church, Community Baptist Church. So you can expect to hear spiritual and biblical references throughout our ten sessions together. We believe that that's appropriate because marriage is God's idea. Most people recognize that even if they're not affiliated with the church. If you think about it, uh, most people want to get married in a church building or they want to get married by a minister, and that's the case even if, as I say, they're not a member of a church or not affiliated with the church. Now, why is that? Because we understand that marriage is sacred. Marriage is God's idea. And I'm one of those pastors who marries people. My name's Ken Brown. I'm the senior pastor of Community Baptist Church, and I'm going to be leading this course assisted by a DVD that we're going to see a portion of each of our sessions together. What are my qualifications for leading this class? Well, first and foremost, I have some knowledge of what God says in the book that he's given us, the Bible, about people and about relationships and about the struggles in our relationships and what can be done about those struggles in our relationships. I've also counseled many, many couples over the years, and I'm married myself. So I know that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage, because I, like you, am not perfect. Now my bride, Kim, she's the closest thing you can get to that, uh, this side side of heaven. (laughs) We've been happily married for 27 years. We've been married for 29, but happily for 27 of those those 29. No, we've we've really been married 27 years, and all of them have. So whatever your reason for being here, I hope that you will stay till the end, all 10 sessions, and that as a result of spending this time together each week, that you will find your marriage having been strengthened because you participated in this class. Jim, if you'll go to the next slide... You see that we're going to have 10 sessions together, beginning tonight and then going through December the 12th. And on the next slide, you see that we have a couple of nights off. There are no class on October 31st and no class on November 28th because that's the night before Thanksgiving. So those two nights off, so there are 12 weeks counting tonight between now and December 12th. Ten of those weeks we'll be meeting those two Wednesday evenings Uh, We won't be meeting, October 31 and November 28. Everybody get a notebook when you came in or got one from the gals who were passing them around? All right, very good. Anybody need a pen? Because 
The stuff I'm going to go through right now is not in the type notes. That's why we gave you the back side for you to take any additional notes that you might want to. And one of the first things that we need to think about is our expectations for, for marriage. Expectations for marriage. Because false expectations, unspoken expectations, are one of the key problems that take place in our, in our marriages. And so I say on the first slide, what, did, what is it that you expected in your, in your marriage? And all of us come into our marriages with uh, expectations. Perhaps you expect or expected that your marriage was going to be like your parents' marriage. Or you expected and wanted it to be anything but like your parents' marriage. But nevertheless, you, you came into it with expectations. And false expectations about what's going to take place in marriage are one of the key problems in marriages. So I say in the marriage ceremonies that I perform that the number one cause for divorce is not, as many people think, it's not communication, it's not finances, it's not sex, it's not all that stuff. The number one cause for divorce is, is actually marriage. And what I mean by that is people's false understandings and expectations of what marriage is and what their responsibilities are and what it is that they will get out of the marriage. Those false expectations are often built up in the dating process and then in our own minds, unspoken expectations that we bring into the marriage relationship. You all know that the dating process is fake, right? I mean, as Paul Tripp is going to say at one point in the DVD, you're trying to sell yourself to somebody. And so people will say, this is not the man I married. Well, you're right. You dated a different guy. <laughs> and now you're married to, to this guy. And so we come into it with these false expectations, one because of the dating process, or just the relational baggage that each of us brings in. And these expectations are often unspoken, almost subconscious. It's kind of like, you know, the, the idea of the perfect vacation. You all know what I mean when I say that? You have in your mind this vacation, you've been planning it for a year, and it's going to be the perfect location, it's going to be the perfect climate, it's going to be the perfect time for your family to get together and enjoy each other's company, but then there are all kinds of things that impinge upon, upon that, that you don't control. Things like the weather, things like the accommodations and how accommodating they actually are. And that perfect vacation, almost without exception, is less than perfect. It didn't meet your expectations. Expectations are huge in all relationships, all circumstances, and including marriage. And that's why I say on the screen... Expectations minus reality results in trouble of all kinds. I had particular expectations, perhaps unspoken, unknown to my spouse, perhaps even unknown to me. I came into this relationship, and then a year or two into it, I'm hit with the reality of marriage, the difficulties of being married to somebody who struggles like I do, and that gap between what I expected and what's actually taking place results in trouble of various sorts. Depression, anxiety, a desire to look around 
for perhaps a more exciting relationship or something that will meet my expectations. Lots of ways to fill in that trouble uh, gap, but it's created because of the difference between expectations and reality. Now, the truth is, you cannot change the reality that is another person. And yet, in our marriages, many of us spend years trying to do that very thing, don't we? I mean, the expectation is this, and by God, I'm going to meet that expectation, and you're going to meet it with me. And so I'm going to spend years trying to change you to that expectation. And many of you find yourself in that very situation. It's not what you thought it would be. He or she is not what you thought they would be. And you spent all these years trying to change them into it. You can't change the reality that is another person. What you can do, though, is you can change your expectations from the other person. And that's the key to you having joy in your relationship. You can change your expectations about changing another person. And you can focus on changing your perspective on the relationship that you're in that is your marriage. So what did you expect? Well, understand, we all came into it with expectations, and the gap between the reality and those expectations results in trouble of all kinds, and many of us have experienced that trouble in our relationships. But here's a second thing, and that is that you are engaged in your marriage in an already but not yet situation. I'll explain what that means. It means this, that things in the world in general and in our marriages and relationships in particular, things are broken in our world. The truth is nothing works like it was intended to work. And that includes our relationships and our marriages. Now, God has made provision in Jesus Christ to restore what's broken in his originally good world. And although that restoration is in process, and although God has already provided for it in Jesus, it's already begun, it hasn't happened yet. That's what's meant by already. He's already provided for it, it's already in process, but it's not yet there. And everything we do in life, including our marriage relationships, is in between that already and not yet. And so we live every moment of our lives in the middle of already and not yet. And so because of this, we should not be surprised when things go wrong, even, even horribly wrong. But we are, aren't we? We're surprised that things go bad. The truth is, if the world is as God describes it in the Bible, and it is, a fallen world, then we should actually be surprised when things go right. And in fact, it's a testimony to the grace of God that he holds things together, even in a broken and fallen world, that we're surprised when stuff goes wrong, that that's the exception rather than the rule. So we shouldn't be surprised we, that they go wrong. We should be surprised when they go right. But in the words of that great theologian, Alanis Morissette, <laughs> what does she say? Isn't it, isn't it ironic? And then she gives you a whole list of things that go wrong. You know, and God says, Alanis, isn't it ironic that you think it's ironic <laughs> that things go wrong? 
Because you should actually be surprised that they go right. The truth is God knows that things can and do go wrong because we live in a fallen world. And because he knows that, he's told us how to prepare for those things. Even things that we don't know the particulars of, that we don't know precisely what's going to happen, but God has told us how to prepare for the fact that things are going to go wrong. And so, next, I say that God has given us what one author has called a prepared spontaneity. That sounds like a contradiction. Something that's spontaneous, sort of just happens. But this is a prepared spontaneity. God has, in Scripture, given us a, a preparation for the fact that things are going to go wrong in life and in our marriages in particular. But he's given instructions for us to prepare for it before it happens. So that I should not be, you should not be blindsided when things go wrong in life. Yes, I'm blindsided by the particular thing. I didn't know that was going to happen. But I can be prepared for the fact that things go wrong. Including in my relationships, including in our marriages. And so how has God given this, this prepared spontaneity? Well, he helps us to expect what should be the expected. You know, sometimes we say expect the unexpected. But really, it's expecting the expected. You should expect that stuff's going to go wrong. That's what God's telling you. But he's preparing you so that you can expect that ahead of time. So how does he do that? Here's a, a passage of Scripture. James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, you fall into trials of various kinds. That's what it says. Then it goes on to say, James 1, 2, Consider it pure joy when that happens, and you fall into these trials of various kinds, because, and then it goes on to say, that God is doing something ultimately good, even in that difficult situation. This is God preparing us, for what should be the expected. Because you're conducting your marriage in a fallen world. And when it says, consider it pure joy when not if you fall into trials of various kinds. A trial is a test. That's the same word in, in the Bible for a test, a trial. And God is using those tests, those trials, not to do something to you, but to do something for you. To change you. And the test, now hear this, the test is often a relationship. The test can be a sickness, the test can be a loss of a job, it can be financial, but it can also be how you handle and grow in a relationship. Especially the most intense relationships that you have, such as marriage. And so, God tells us that these things are going to happen. In that little verse that I just quoted, Consider it pure joy whenever you fall into trials of various kinds. God tells us that these, these things should be expected because, let me give you these four words real quick. These tests that just happen in life and often are involved in our relationships are unavoidable. God says whenever, because they're going to happen, they're unavoidable. And they're, secondly, unexpected, because he says you fall into them. So we know bad things are going to happen. I didn't know this particular bad thing was going to happen. So you fall into them. They're unexpected. 
They're also unwanted. That's why they're called trials. They try you. They're difficult. And then thirdly, they come in all shapes and sizes. They're unlimited. They're of various kinds. And so these tests, these circumstances in life that are sometimes relationships are unavoidable and unexpected and unwanted and unlimited in their variety. Now hear this, friends. We want happiness in life. We want just tranquility and things to be going smooth now in the situation, the circumstances, the relationship I'm in. But please understand, God wants something larger than just happiness. And that's why he's at work, even in the difficulties and even in the, on the mundane. Our goal of just being happy, just getting through, just everybody being okay with each other, nobody getting killed... That goal is much, much too small. But because God has a bigger agenda for you and for your spouse and for your family, because God is at work, you can have hope in every relationship that you're in because God is in the middle of that mess. That is your life. That is your relationships. That is your marriage. So as you expect the expected, remember that you're conducting your marriage in a fallen world. But understand a second thing. And that is that you're a sinner married to a sinner. We all face the failure and the weakness of our partner at some point, perhaps very soon, in the relationship. And if we don't see God's larger agenda, this is what we'll do when that happens. When we see their sin, their failure, their their moral weakness of whatever sort. If we don't see that God has a larger agenda in that relationship, this is what we'll do. We will turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Moments that should be times for me to grow and help this other person to grow we will turn those moments into moments of anger. And we'll personalize what's not personal. You see, ultimately, the battle that you have and the battle your spouse has is not with each other. The battle is within, as we're going to see in the weeks ahead. And it's really not ultimately personal. With you, But we will personalize what's not personal if we don't see that there's a much larger thing going on here. That God has a much larger agenda and each of us is interacting every moment of every day with this, this God. If we don't see that larger agenda, we'll personalize what's not personal and we'll tend to be adversarial then in our response. And that is what has characterized many of us. In our marriage relationships. We have only seen the moment. We have only seen the particular circumstance. The particular thing or things that my spouse has done or failed to do. And we have not plugged that in to the larger agenda that God's accomplishing. In and through you. Even in the midst of that difficulty. Now we're going to be pounding on that theme in a number of ways. Over the next several weeks together. I'm going to be assisted in pounding on that by a DVD that uh, Paul Tripp 
has put together. Some of you know Paul Tripp and some of his books. This study guide that you have is based upon a book that he wrote called What Did You Expect? Question mark. And here we're going to see a 25-minute DVD from Paul, from Paul Tripp. And you can track what uh, he is saying in the uh, notes that you have beginning on page 3. So why is it that God cares about the small, mundane moments of life? And Paul Tripp said, it's because life's mostly made up of those little moments. That's where we live. In fact, he said, if, if God doesn't rule your little moments, he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. And if the character of life is not set by four or five big moments, but by 10,000 little ones, then every little moment of your life is important. What does it mean to say that romance is not the cause of a good marriage? How has our culture taught us that romance is the cause of a good relationship? Well, we identify in our culture love with romance, with emotion, with feeling. And when the feeling is there during the dating process, that fake dating process, then the love is there. But after the love is gone, says the songwriter, which means what? After the, the feeling's gone, after the romance is gone. And so our culture indoctrinates us to think of love as primarily romance and feeling. Number three, in what way is worship first our identity before it's our activity? Well, he said that we are all worshipers. And it's not a question of whether you'll worship, but who or what you and I will worship. Everything we do is a result of some kind of worship. And what it is we worship shapes our lives. What's he mean when he said that we live out of the heart? He's saying that what we say and do is not because of what's outside, but because of what's already inside of us. What comes out is what's already inside. And then last, why is it important we recognize the greatest source of our marriage conflicts comes from the inside of us? Here's why. Because if I continue to see the problem as outside of me, then I will not look at help for me. I'll look for a solution to you rather than the help that I need for me. We'll focus on blaming others. That fuels more conflict. And there'll be no change, no healing, no reconciliation. And more will be said about that in session two next week. Now, in our remaining time, I'd like to underscore the major point that he made, which is on page three. If you go back to page three, you see the box there, the slide. He is, over the next few weeks, going to give three principles. This is the first one, and that is a marriage of unity, understanding, and love. It's not rooted in romance, but rather it is rooted in worship. And I'd like to give you, in the lines next to that box, some things for you to think about, perhaps, perhaps right in. The first one, a marriage rooted in worship sees three things. The first one is this. It sees God as creator. Now here's what's meant by that. 
you, if you believe God is the all-wise creator, then it also means that you believe he made your spouse with his wisdom. He created them as they are. With the things that annoy you, all the things that you have spent years trying to recreate about them, God created. You want a husband that's more of a fix-it guy at home. Uh, if I get a tool belt on, look out. <laughs> the girls go, Mom, he's got the tool belt. <laughs> right? Some of us just aren't made that way. But if you've got a spouse, and thankfully I don't have a spouse who's trying to change that, but if you have a spouse who's saying, that's what my dad did, that's what you should be doing, that's what men do. Or, husbands, you've got a wife, and you want her to think in the logical, analytical fashion that you do. Some of you gals may do that, some may not. But if you've got a spouse, a wife who doesn't think that way, but I'm going to change her into thinking that way. God made her that way. And so if your marriage is not going to be based on romance, but rather rooted in worship, that means you're going to have to see in that spouse the creation of God. God as the all-wise creator. Now, instead of then trying to change that, if God is all-wise, then you say, God, thank you for your wisdom in giving me a spouse with these qualities. Different than I have, but I need to learn now from him or her. And I see you as the all-wise creator, and therefore I can receive my spouse as they are, not change them into what I want them to be. Some of you remember the Rocky movies? Yo, Adrian. You know, so Rocky says to Adrian, you know, we all got gaps. I got gaps. You got gaps. Together we ain't got no gaps. <laughs> and there's Rocky, the great theologian, <laughs> looking at God as the creator. There's Adrian in the way she is, there's me the way I am, and there's us together now. And instead of contradicting each other, we complement each other. A marriage that's rooted not in romance but worship first sees God as creator, but secondly... Sees God as sovereign. That is, God's in control. So, if, if I worship God, if I believe God, I believe God made all things, I believe God made me, my spouse, my children, and I believe this God is not asleep at the switch, but rather He is in control of everything that happens in His world, including what takes place between the four walls of, of my home then if God, now hear this, if God is in control, guess who doesn't have to be? I don't have to be. And, and some of you have been spending your lives trying to grab control, wrest control from God. You don't have the remote. God does. You don't hold the joystick. God does. And a marriage rooted in worship sees God as creator and sees God as in control, sovereign, and then third and last, sees God as 
Savior. That God is the one who saves. God is the one who rescues. God is the one who delivers. That God desires to do this. God wants to see this happen. God wants your marriage to be healed. Remember, marriage was his idea. And so we look to the one who gave us marriage, the one who created us the way we are, the one who, in his control of his world, brought us together through the various circumstances. However that came to be, here we are. And God has brought us together. And it's not outside of his control. And it's this good God who has good designs for this good thing called marriage that wants to rescue, deliver, save as Savior your marriage. So that means you guys come to the first night of a 10-week session on marriage. A good God, a Savior God, a delivering God, a rescuing God has brought you for you and your marriage to be saved and rescued. That's how God sees it. Now, what do we do in preparation for next week? If you'll take a look in your notes at pages 4 and 5. And this is your homework on pages 4 and 5. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to... Go through the application questions. And those that apply to both of you together, discuss those together. Now you can see that this is going to require some transparency. Like one of the questions is, you know, what are the things that tend to come from the inside of you that you respond inappropriately to? So you've got to have the humility to cough it up and admit that. So if you're going to move ahead, if you're going to get the most benefit out of our time together, you're going to have to have that transparency, that honesty, do the application section. But then you also have the just between the two of you, some things for each of you to discuss, and then you've got for further reading, you've got a passage from the Bible uh, listed there from uh, 1 Kings, all right? So I encourage you to do those things, and then we'll come back together next week. 7.15 in this room. I hope it won't be as warm as it has been in here. I don't control that. The school does. Sorry about that. But this class actually starts at 7.15. The kids' classes start at 7. That's why we advertise 7. Uh, once they go to their classes, you're welcome to get them coffee and snacks that we have out in the hallway. And then make your way down here. And we'll start at 7.15 next week. All right? Let's pray. We'll be done. Father, we thank you that you, by your divine appointment, the God who is in control of all things in our lives, has seen fit on your calendar to bring us to September 26, 2012, and this very time, this very moment, this series. I thank you that you love us enough to bring us together to discuss these issues. And Lord, I pray for each one here, for each couple here, that they will benefit from the time that we have together as we see who you are in your good heart for us individually, for our marriages, and for, and for our families. And Lord, I pray that each of us will develop a transparency and honesty and humility so that we can apply the things that we learn. And we can apply those in the context of this most intense and most important of relationships, that of marriage. 
I pray, Lord, that those who might have come into this room with the idea that this series needs to fix the other person will come away from tonight seeing that you want to focus upon them and their heart. That because you love them, you will not let them wander and not let them point outside of themselves. And then I pray as well, as we focus on ourselves, that you will do this marvelous thing of, of melding two hearts together. As each spouse sees the other wanting to please you, they in turn want to live their lives to please each other as well. You have told us that the greatest commandment is to love you with all of our heart and mind and soul. But the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the one flows from the other. We pray that our relationships will be rooted and, and deep because we worship the true and living God. Grant us safety this week. I pray that you will help each to carve out the time necessary to make the application, to have the discussion, to read the passage. Bring us back safely together next Lord's Day, or next Wednesday. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.